Well, I don't know how your morning is going, but I preached the whole last service with my zipper down, so... <laughs> Nobody at the last service remembers anything about the message. They're like, what'd you take away from church today? Well, <laughs> that was weird. Uh, anyway, true story. My name is, <laughs> my name is Joe, and uh, if you're here for the first time, you're like, this place is weird. Uh, I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning, and uh, happy new year to you. Uh, we are starting off a new series in the book of Galatians, but before we get started, I want to let you know about a couple things. So the first one is this. On the way in, you were handed one of these. This is a worship program, and maybe you like this. You're like, this is cool. I get to put my gum in here, or whatever you do with it. My kid colors on it. So, But this is actually full of really important information, so if you would do me a favor and pull this out, I just want to walk you through it real quick. Uh, if you are a guest with us for the first time, special welcome to you. And we would love to know that you're here just so we can let you know a little bit about who we are. And the way that you can do that is on the back of this is a connect card. You can use it for a few different things. You can put your information on here so we can uh, let you know, like I said, about who we are. And uh, if you are a guest with us for the first time after the service, please don't just split. Please head over to the Welcome Center because we have a gift for you that we'd love to give you this morning. There's a place for notes. There's a QR code if you would like the digital notes that are available on the app. And then if you open it up to the inside, there's a lot of important information, like all of the announcements that you're going to hear this morning are also in here. So if you forgot something or you want more information, this is the place to go for that. So yes, you may keep this in your car as an emergency napkin, but make sure you read it first. And uh, maybe I'm a little impartial because I make these, so it's awesome. All right, uh, next thing to let you know about is uh, you, we have an Exploring Jesus class coming up on Saturday at our Sandusky campus from 9 to 11 a.m. in the morning, uh, and it's going to be led by Pastor Eric. So maybe you're here, and you've been coming for a while. You might be brand new. You've got some questions about Jesus. Is he who he says he is? Is the historical account of Jesus accurate? Uh, what is salvation? What is born again? What are all of these things? What do they mean? This is a great question, to, or a great time to have those questions, and maybe some you're not even thinking of answered. Um, so if you're interested in being a part of this, all you have to do is, to register is text the word exploring to that number on the screen. Um, it's a great place. It's a great class to invite family or friends or other people that you think might have questions about Jesus. Um, and there's like no foundation of knowledge that you need to walk in there. I mean, even if you never heard of Jesus, this is, this is good. Uh, this is perfect for you. And then, uh, ladies, we are, it's time for Renewed. So this is coming up on this Tuesday from 6 to 7.30, again, at our Sandusky campus. And here's some words from Paula Lapata, who runs our women's ministry. She, she says, as we head into 2023, your news, New Year's resolutions fill the minds of many women. I mean, the, the, most people. I mean, some of us have already given up on our New Year's resolutions. Um, there will always be areas we need to change in our lives, but what about the areas where God is calling us just to be content? For some, it's less about striving, working harder, and changing, and more about resting in contentment. Join us for Renewed on January 10th at, in Sandusky. So yeah, contentment is something like I, I struggle with and a lot of people struggle with. And so women, if you are struggling with that, this is a great opportunity. There's, there's uh, awesome worship, really good discussion as well too. So you can check that out. Um, no need to register. You can just show up and that's uh, this, this Tuesday. 
And then lastly, um, child dedications are coming up. Now here at the chapel, we don't do baby, or we don't do infant baptisms, but we do child dedications, which is really three things. One, it's recognizing that our, child's, our children are gifts from the Lord. Two, committing to raising that child in a Christ-centered home. And then three, calling on the church as a family to come around that, that family and help them to raise that child and point that child towards Jesus. And so we're going to be doing that in a few weeks. If you would like to take part of that, if you have a child or, or children you'd like dedicated, Next week after the service for about 15, 20 minutes, uh, we're just going to kind of go over what child dedication is and what it isn't. So make sure you come to that if you would like to have one of your children dedicated, okay? Um, And then, last thing before we jump to today's message, would you do me a favor and turn your attention to the screen? So we are talking about freedom, and freedom is such an important concept. Freedom is important to us individually, um, as a society, and as a nation. I mean, freedom is is a huge part of being an American, right? And, you know, trying to define that word freedom, if you asked, you know, 12, a dozen people to define freedom, you might get a dozen different answers. And I like what Dr. Sean McDowell did. He asked a group of teenagers to define the word freedom. They discussed the topic for a while, and this is the answer they came up with. Freedom is being able to do whatever you want without restraint. I love that. You know, teenagers, they just, they just put it right out there. You know, uh, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in North Point Church in Atlanta, he did a series, and he said that most people would define freedom this way. It's my life. I should, be, I should be free to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as I'm not hurting anybody. And I would add, and also have enough money to get me out of trouble when I get caught doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want, right? And at first glance, that makes sense, right? Freedom, it only makes sense if we get what we want without any restriction. That's what we tell ourselves, but what if that's not true? What if our desire to do what we want has major consequences for us, for the people with us, for people who love us, or the people coming after us. And what if I told you this definition of freedom, though, it looks really good on the surface, can actually lead to a life of chaos or feeling stuck, both of which are the opposite of freedom. For example, uh, Dr. McDowell gives the idea of playing the piano. Now, if you have a piano or a keyboard in your house and you have small children, we're praying for you because, like, that kid will just get a hold of that thing and just make, they'll make a lot of noise, right? And they have the freedom to just play whatever they want, but that's not music, right? Uh, Yeah, you might have freedom to play whatever you want on the piano, but if you don't have the restraint of knowing how, you're just going to create chaos, Um, Or let's say you want the freedom to enjoy your life. Well, as for me, my enjoyment of my life is connected to, and I mean directly connected to, food. I have the ability, I have the freedom to eat whatever I want, right? I'm 42, I'm an adult, I got some money, I can just eat whatever I want, right? Well, that would include my four favorite food groups, pizza, donuts, Chick-fil-A, and cereal. Now, Chick-fil-A, I don't know if you know this, because it's the Lord's chicken, those calories don't actually count. It's in the Old Testament. I looked. It was Moses. Somebody said that, but it's true. Uh, 
I know it's the Lord. It's fried chicken, though. I mean, it's still, like, you can't eat it all the day. And then cereal. All right, so I don't eat cereal as breakfast. I like it as a late-night snack. Any other late-night snack cereal eaters in here? All right, cool. So me and Charles have this same thing where we eat too much cereal late at night. We're going to start a support group. It's going to be starting soon. We'll let you know about that. But here's what happened. I'm going to get... I'm going to get a bowl of cereal, and my dumb brain is like, well, I'm going to use a little bowl, because I'm just, that way I'll just eat a little bit of it, right? And what happens? You put the cereal in, you put the milk in, you eat the cereal, there's some milk left, so what do you do? You add more cereal, right? But then you, like, overcompensate, and then you got, like, now it's too dry, and, you know, so you got to add more milk, and then you repeat that same process over and over. Next thing you know, I'm at my kitchen counter crying, because I ate four bowls of cereal before I ate, went to bed. It's a problem, everybody. It's a problem. We need help. So... I'm an adult, and I have the freedom to eat what I want, when I want, and I wish someone would take that away from me, because it's, it's bad. So uh, I, if I freely eat these types of foods every day, all the time, then I'm probably not going to live to 50 years old. So there's ways in which you and I are currently living that we think is going to give us freedom, the freedom that we desperately want. But instead of living freely, we end up experiencing the opposite. Like I said, our lives can feel out of control, like a toddler playing the piano, or you're going to feel like you're trapped. Maybe you end up getting a food addiction or something like that. And this is why we want to spend the next eight weeks on this important topic of freedom. But instead of defining it and pursuing it our way, we're going to, we want to look at freedom from God's vantage point. And so we're going to do this by studying Paul's letter to the Galatians um, and, and, talking about, and talking about how it explains the, fruit, the true and lasting freedom that we can experience. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it, turn to Galatians 1, and I want to encourage you to continue to bring your Bible and read Galatians from it because I think it will reinforce the habit of getting into that. And uh, if you have the YouVersion app on your phone, feel free to use that. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the racks at the back of the room. We would love you to take one with you as a gift from us to you so that you can bring that each week. But here's how it starts in Galatians 1, 1 through 3. It says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So right off the bat, Paul is giving some credibility. He's like, look, I'm not elected. I'm not appointed. I was chosen by God and by Jesus Christ himself. He goes on, he says, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. So now most scholars would agree that Paul wrote this letter around 50 AD. And Paul probably start, most likely planted these churches in Galatia and now is writing to them as a, as, as a, in a role of leadership. So he agrees, um, or he greets the churches with his important theological truth. He says, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So in, in addressing the churches, Paul reminds the readers that they are in need of rescue. And this Greek word for rescue literally means to pluck out, to draw, or for to deliver. So Paul is, a, is essentially saying it is Jesus who comes in order to deliver us, to save us once and for all. And I'm grateful that Jesus wants to rescue us, but what exactly did, he need, did we need rescuing from? I remember I was 14 years old. I was at a coffee shop in Fremont, and there was a group of people standing around, and this guy who taught me how to play guitar, he was standing there, and I was like, hey, what are you all doing? He's like, oh, they're getting saved. Do you want to get saved? I'm like, yeah, I want to get saved. I didn't even know what I was getting saved from, right? So I just joined in this prayer group. But so we would try to wonder, like, okay, when you talk about getting saved here at the church, what does that mean? Saved from what? Well, Paul labels it 
save us from this evil world in which we live. And I don't think I need to convince you that there is evil in our world. But what I think we need more convincing of is that perhaps we have something to do with that evil, that there is evil living inside of us. It's easy to point out the evil that exists in other peoples or other structures or organizations. It's much more difficult to admit that maybe there's some junk going on in here, that maybe we have some evil inside of us. But, you know, the pride, selfishness, the ways of which we designated ourselves to be the God of our lives and the God over others. I mean, when you think about it, we really are at the center of our lives. We think that we are the most important purpose important person in in our world and here's how you can tell let me ask you two questions what makes you more what would make you more angry someone hitting your car and then leaving or the fact that there is hunger in our world that can that kills millions of people which one makes you more angry here's another one what would make you more angry having a really bad restaurant experience you know screaming kids the food stinks it's overpriced all of that or the fact that there is systemic racism still alive in our world You see, if you're like me, I often get much more angry at the things that happen to me instead of actual wrongs and evils that exist in our world. The reason is is because we often find ourselves at the center, and if people or things around us don't, don't sort of orbit around us and make everything go right in our world, we get really frustrated at that. So we typically get upset about things affecting us that are evil, or things that affect us over things that are evil or wrong in general. Why? Because we are at the center. So... And don't forget about how the pursuit of happiness or value and worth in those things, we often become addicted, right, to to things or to people which have negative effects on others. And I don't need to tell you that, like, even from within our own hearts come some words and actions that can do damage to the people on the receiving end. For some of you, the holidays you just got over were were really stressful, right? And they're always stressful because you're going to be around some family members who maybe say some things or have said some things or do some things that are damaging and hurtful, and it's really stressful, right? We tend, to have, we tend to say things that can often have a negative impact on others. And Paul says that these things are evil, and we need to be rescued from them. Now, spoiler alert, remember, Paul argues for, and I would agree, that if we want to be rescued from the evil outside of us, and especially inside of us, then we have to let Jesus alone rescue us and give us freedom because only Jesus can do what we cannot do for ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It doesn't say if anyone is in Christ, he is a better creation. No, it says a new creation. It says a new heart. You are a new person. And and here's what I want you to remember, why Jesus alone can give us freedom because In John 8, 36, he said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will truly be free. But again, because we're self-sufficient, we like to call the shots, and we have determined how we ought to figure out how to become free. And we've determined to find rescue in a few different ways, and I want to talk about three of them. The first one is this, the promise of secularism. You know, or what our world offers. Grab a hold of what makes you happy and you will achieve freedom. Here's the equation. Jesus plus happiness equals freedom. Like, of course you want some Jesus, right? Because you're a Christian. You want enough Jesus that, you know, when life goes bad, you've got someone to pray to. You want enough Jesus so that your kids turn out right. You got to have some morals. Those things are good. But then you also, you know, you kind of want a boat too. Or, you know, you want that really nice house. You want to be able to provide in private education. There's other things that you want to add on in order to find freedom or true happiness. So, 
we say, yes, Jesus is enough, right? We would never say, yeah, Jesus plus, you know, the vacation home or whatever it is. But here's, we say that. We would never say that, yeah, I need more than Jesus to find freedom. But when you take a street level view of your life every day, how you spend your time and your money and the things you think about when you're bored, when you wake up, when you go to bed, you know, what does that really say about what's most important? What does that really say about where you're looking for freedom? Because if somebody took a snapshot of a day in my life, I don't know if they would look at it and say, yeah, Jesus is obviously the most important thing. Jesus is where, you know, Pastor Joe's looking for freedom. So, so, what happens is we listen to our hearts, which are drawn to things that make us happy. Or let me rephrase that. Our hearts are drawn to the things that we think will make us happy. Money, notoriety, good looks, food, people, sex, phones, traveling, career, success, all of these things, which are good things that we should be able to enjoy, we think are going to give us deliverance, right? I mean, I've said this before, but I'm like convinced I'm just one more Amazon delivery away from final contentment, right? You know, and then it doesn't work. I'm like, well, we'll try it once more. You know, it's got to work eventually, right? That brown box shows up and you're so happy for a little while, but eventually things just kind of get back to normal. And so what happens is when we cross, when our hearts cross the line from I want this in my life to I need this in my life, we start to become obsessed, you know, addicted and eventually despondent. Pastor Tim Keller, he says it perfectly when he says, if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. There was this lady named Cynthia Heimel. She was an author for the Village Voice in New York, and she spent a lot of time with celebrity, celebrities, and she said that she pitied celebrities. She really did, because she said that celebrities were some of the most driven, hardworking people she had ever met, and they were looking to achieve whatever it was, whether it was the book deal, the record deal, internet fame, the movie deal, whatever it was. And when they finally achieved it, they were miserable because the thing that they thought was going to deliver them, the thing that they thought was going to give them happiness that they had worked so hard for wasn't enough. So we always think, right, that the grass is greener on the other side. Whatever we have, there's got to be something better. I heard this great quote. It said, if the grass is greener on the other side, it might be because of a septic issue. Right? Yeah, it looks great, but maybe there's some crap, you know, going on underneath that you're not aware of. We know, that, we know this is true. You know that you think there's something out there that if you get it or you get him or you get her, then you are finally, finally going to be happy and free. How's that working? How's that working? The second way is this, the promise of religion, you know, that if you keep the rules... You can earn your freedom. One of the main reasons that Paul writes this letter to the Galatians was to combat the message of a group of teachers that were called the Judaizers. And Paul strongly scolds both the Judaizers for what they're teaching and the Galatians for following their teaching. Here's what he says. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, 
what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. So, so Paul is talking about this good news, the gospel, right? The whole idea that Jesus lived the life we should have lived, went to the cross, took our sins upon himself, and then rose from the dead three days later. That's the good news. Well, these Judaizers were adding on to that, right? They didn't deny the message of Jesus. They were adding on to the message of Jesus. They were saying, sure, follow Jesus, but if you really want to be right with God, then you have to follow the Mosaic law, the law that Moses brought to the Israelites, the Old Testament law, the, New, or the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws that went along with it. So again, here's the equation, that Jesus plus religion equals freedom. Before before Paul came on the scene, the Galatians had tried to achieve a relationship with God through only keeping the law. And essentially, that it is this rule keeping that if they followed it as the best that they could, they could earn favor with God. But it doesn't work like that. The law was never intended to save us. The law was intended to show us how much we needed a savior. I mean, think about it. On your last day, if you stand before God and he just holds up the Ten Commandments, every single one of us in here is guilty. Nobody has ever, ever kept those perfectly. On the outside, it seems to work. The problem is, though, what, never, what happened was that it didn't truly change their hearts. Only God himself could do that, which is what Jesus does. Remember, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, not a better creation, not a more religious creation. And we may not follow the law like the Galatians did, but there's something in us that believes, sure, we should believe in Jesus, but, but we got to do something, right, to earn our way to God. So in addition to believing in Jesus, we try to follow the rules, check the boxes, be a good person, earn our way to God. It's funny, you know, like as a pastor, if I see somebody out in public and I haven't seen him at church for a while, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? I just generally see how they're doing. They're like, oh, man. We haven't been to church in a while, I know, but we're coming back, I promise. And I'm like, man, it's not about that, right? Because we automatically think, like, if we don't go to church enough, like, God's not going to be, we're not going to be okay with God. And so we try to, we try to do all the right things. And, and this, this type of freedom seems attractive because it makes us feel like we're contributing to our place in heaven. And for control freaks like me, it allows us to take the reins. But after a while, two things are going to start to happen. Since you measure your, your, your spirituality upon what you do, you either become frustrated because you feel like you didn't do enough or you feel superior because you're doing better than others, right? If someone is living below what our definition of what a Christian should be, you know, maybe they do some things that we, that we wouldn't do. Well, then they need to get right with Jesus. They're messing up. And if they're more religious or like more moral, more disciplined us, then well, they're out of touch with, with you know, with culture or they're fanatical about this whole thing or they're, they're legalistic, whatever. And it's almost like we're afraid that someone somewhere just might be enjoying their relationship with Jesus outside of how we would particularly define it, what we think it should look like. Now, what I'm not saying is that we don't become more like Jesus. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. What I am saying is that obeying his commands do not save us. And the other thing is that we're all in process. Sometimes all you can see is what you can see. And you don't know where that person has been. You don't know their story. And you don't know how far along on the process they are. And, and so this doesn't mean that we don't have accountability either. Now, we have accountability, but it's in the context of relationship. There are people who are close enough to me that if they see me living in a way that is not in line with how Jesus is called to live, they have both the obligation and the right to come to me and say, hey, what is going on? 
But, but if you see someone and, and you don't know that person and you get to know them and get to know their journey before you start making judgments about how they look or live because all you can see is what you can see. And all of these things showed us that, yeah, we need to be rescued. So the third and final way is this, the promise of pleasing people. That if you do whatever you need to do to earn people's approval, and they will give you freedom. We are so hung up on what other people think of us at times, right? Which essentially just gives other people power over our lives. Here's the, here's the equation. Jesus plus the approval of others is going to equal freedom. So after Paul admonishes the Judaizers and questions the Galatians' faith, he speaks about himself and says these powerful words. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So the, raw, the reason Paul brings up pleasing people here is because this is exactly what the Galatians were doing. Instead of standing firm in, in their convictions, they were, they were in the face of pressure from the Judaizers starting to cave in and do what they were calling them to do, even though it went against their very faith in Jesus. This is why Paul says you can't have it both ways, right? But we want it both ways, right? We want to love and serve Jesus, and in some contexts, that's fine. Like this morning, it's cool to be a Christian because we're all at church, but maybe you hang around with coworkers or friends or family, and you, you don't really like talking about being a Christian. You, you kind of hold back on your, on your faith and your convictions because you don't want to make anyone feel awkward. You don't want to seem weird. You know, you want to be liked and gain their approval, and on the surface, this feels like freedom because, yeah, you're a Christian and you're being accepted, but are you really being accepted? Because you're presenting a, a false version of yourself. It's not truly your authentic self. In other words, they like you, but they don't like the real you. They like the representative that you are putting forward at that particular time. And it's no wonder that the author of Proverbs says this, that fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. So many of us, and I'm speaking of us, including me, are people pleasers and need rescued from such an empty lonely and exhausting trap which is why the next part of proverbs says this but trusting in the lord means safety and this word safety literally means to be set securely on high which is to say that you will be completely out of reach and be free of the trap that has been set for you and to receive this kind of safety this freedom it only comes from trusting in the lord himself the only way to be rescued from the trap of secularism of religion and people-pleasing is through Jesus. Paul says the exact same thing to the churches again in verse 3 and verse 6. May, the God, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. The promise of the gospel is this, that God's grace and mercy, those are the things that lead to peace and freedom. Peace, which is the ultimate freedom that we long for, can only come from grace and mercy, which are gifts, God's gift to us through Christ alone. It's not Jesus plus something that will rescue us. It's Jesus plus nothing equals freedom. Jesus alone gives us everything that we could ever want. It's like Jesus, it's like we're drowning, trying to swim to the shore and we can't possibly do it. And Jesus comes with a rope and he throws in the water for you to grasp onto, and you take it, and he pulls you to safety and gives you freedom once and for all. And if you're here and you've never experienced that real freedom before, 
man, today is the day because Jesus said in John 8, 36, that if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And if you're here and you've let Jesus rescue you, but you find yourself stuck in the same cycle of religion or people pleasing or sin or addiction, whatever it is, remember Jesus said that if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's kind of like this. Imagine you're locked up in a prison cell. Jesus comes and sets you free, pays the cost, serves your sins. The cell door is open, and you walk out into freedom. But freedom isn't always easy. It's not always always comfortable. It's not always familiar. Sometimes following Jesus into freedom can be really, really scary. So you find yourself, at times, missing your cell. Not because it's better, not because it's good, but because it's easy. It's comfortable, it's familiar, it's predictable. I do this, as I was preparing this message, I was really challenged, because I do this. I find myself thinking that I'm gonna be happier, that I'm gonna be free back in my cell, back in my old ways, doing the things that, that, I, that used to give me what I thought was freedom. This idea of going back to prison, it's called recidivism, and this is a really interesting statistic. The United States has some of the highest recidivism rates in the world. According to the National Institute of Justice, almost 44% of criminals released return the first year out of prison. 44%, almost half of all criminals who get released from prison end up back there the same year. A good friend of mine recently experienced this. He goes to church here, he did his time in prison, paid his dues, just got out, now he's free. But it's been really hard. It's been really hard on him because he's had to learn to live a new life. He's had to find new friends. He's had to live by a new set of rules. And he'd probably tell you that at times prison is easier. It's not better, but it's more comfortable. It's more predictable. It's familiar, right? But it's not freedom. Following Jesus is freedom. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable, it's not always familiar, but it is true freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, freedom from selfishness. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I gotta remind you that the cell door is open. The cell door is open. You can go back if you want to, but there's nothing there. It's not freedom. And here's the best part. You don't have to go back. You are free. Your debt is paid, you are forgiven and free to live in a new way of following Jesus. If you've never experienced that, Jesus said that if if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Father, I stand before you on behalf of, of this church and myself, God, thanking you for true freedom, the freedom that you offer, the freedom that you gave us, not that we could earn, but as a gift. And Jesus, I pray that you would make it so real to us that you are all we need, that Jesus plus nothing equals freedom because God, that just doesn't seem real at times. So I pray that you would show us that. God, I pray for those in here that don't know that true freedom. God, that you would reach in their hearts and you could convict them to reach out and accept that gift. And for us, God, who continue to just find ourselves walking back And going back into ourselves, God, would you help us to have the courage and the strength and the desire to follow you into true freedom? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much for being here. I hope you have an incredible new year, and we'll see you next week.